Hello and welcome to the Bible with Megan podcast. My name is Megan and here I talk about the Bible. There are two types of episode in this podcast. The first is where I look at wider themes about the Bible, within the Bible, questions about how we should study the Bible and how it relates to our world. The second type of episode are just Bible studies and each week I'll go chronologically through a book of the Bible. The Bible is such a beautiful book and such an incredible gift that we have been given by God and I just hope that in this podcast you will learn to love studying it even more and that it will strengthen your faith. So let's get on with today's episode. Hello. Today we are carrying on with the Revelation study series that I've been doing. I started this over on my YouTube channel and I'll link that in the show notes if you want to go and catch up from the beginning. But today we are hitting chapter three. Finally made it to chapter three. From here on out we'll be whizzing through. Um, And we're looking at Jesus's message to the church in Sardis. So Revelation is a letter and it is written to seven churches um, in Asia Minor. And we've been going through each of Jesus's messages to those churches that are written down by John and circulated as a letter. And there's a six point pattern in each of those messages. Um, And I did a specific video on that on my YouTube if you want to go back and see it but it's very easy to pick up and I'll just go through each of those points and apply it to the message to Sardis in today's episode. So the first point is just the name of the church um, or the angel of the church and of course that is Sardis so let's look at some of the context about Sardis as a city. It was a very prosperous city, Um, paganism and astrology were also very dominant there, it had a powerful reputation in the past but it had been devastated by an earthquake Um, and also the city had been captured twice. Now this might not seem important but Sardis is actually built on top of a hill Um, and so you'd imagine that being like a hill fort kind of city it would be quite hard to capture that city because it's on top of a hill they can see who's coming Um, but that wasn't the case in fact due to lack of um, readiness, they had been captured twice by Cyrus um, in 549 BC and by Antiochus, Antiochus? I think that's how you say it, in 214 BC. So they were quite big, significant events. They weren't prepared, even though they were in a perfect position to face that kind of attack, they were captured. And so um, just remember that because that is something that is sort of hinted at in Jesus's message to the church in Sardis. So the second point then is the description of Christ, the description of Jesus that we find in every message. And in this section, Jesus is described as the one, uh, him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So you'll recognise that description. It links back to the opening vision of Jesus that we went through um, when John first sees him and it has all these references back to the Old Testament and describes what Jesus looks like in his vision. So that's referencing back to that. um, The fact that he has uh, the seven spirits, most scholars think this is a reference sort of to the Holy Spirit and is about how... um, like they believe there were seven corners of the earth so it's like this the presence of the holy spirit being 
everywhere. And then um, the stars represent the angels and the angels of the churches, as we've already seen earlier in the book. So this is very much referencing the fact that Jesus has authority. He is God and he is also the head of the church, the head of the body of Christ. So point three is usually looking at the church's good works, the things that Jesus commends them for. But uh, Sardis doesn't have any. (laughs) They're not doing a great job. There is nothing that Jesus commends them for. In fact, he only rebukes them about things they are doing badly and wrong. So let's read from there. This is in verse... Oh, it's still verse one. Um, It starts with, I know your works. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Okay, so what is it that they are doing so wrong that Jesus is so against them for? He says they have a reputation for being alive, but they're actually dead. And that's harsh, isn't it? Like, that must be difficult for them to hear. They are a church that the people around them think that they are doing really well as a church, but actually... God says, you're not, you're you're not alive, you're dead. Now we hear this motive about being dead and alive throughout the Old Testament. And ultimately, it's a reference to Jesus's resurrection, um, about how he was the one who died and came back to life. But there's a wider element from the whole narrative of the Bible about how we need new life because we are dead in our sins. So we could look at um, Ephesians 2. This sort of talks about this and uses this language. It says we were dead in our sins, but then we are made alive in Christ. So it is when we repent and we turn to follow Jesus that we are given new life in Christ. Um, That being born again, we are alive. Where before we were actually kind of dead, dead in sin, the way we were living, we were actually dead. Um, We didn't have true life. Um, So... Oh, another verse actually, which would be helpful here is Romans 6 verse 13. So I'm just going to flick to that in my Bible, which I've got next to me. But um, the point is this, this accusation that he's making towards the church in Sardis is that they're actually still dead in sin. It's like they haven't even been, haven't even been, um, renewed they haven't even like accepted this new life in the way that they're living it's just not showing um at least not to god people around them think they are but the only opinion that matters when you're part of the church is the head of the church and that is jesus christ and it is him who will judge um who is truly a disciple and who isn't because he knows people's hearts he's he's not fooled by a facade so um romans 6 13 then Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So this is a 
this is a huge, huge thing. And you would have noticed with the other churches, it was often their outside circumstances that made them um, perhaps not respond in a very good way. So either they're being persecuted and not responding to that well, or they're trying to kind of fit in and, and be accepted into their culture um, in a way that is counter to the gospel and the way of living as a disciple of Jesus. Or maybe they've got... Um, issues with false teaching and they're trying to combat false teaching and there's people spreading false teaching um but here there's none of that there's no reference to this church being persecuted there isn't any issues of of heresy in this body um the problem is they're just not they're dead it's, it's like they're not even they're not even living as as a church it's just like they're there's just nothing there and it looks like they're doing so much but there's just nothing this, there's just nothing. I'm going to read you um, some bits from a couple of commentaries that I've used for this study. And this comes under point five um, of the six point thing that we're going through. Um, and that is Jesus's instructions. So he tells them to wake up, to wake up. And another way this can be translated is actually be watchful. Now, this sort of harks back, doesn't it, to what we said at the beginning about the city of Sardis being captured, even though they're in a perfect position to be um, to have really good defences against enemy attack. But they weren't watchful. And Jesus is saying then to the people who live in this city, be watchful, wake up, wake up. You need to stand firm in your faith and be fully convicted of it. Um, and not just sort of drift along because you're really dead in your sins and not alive to Christ. So this is an extract from the Tyndale New Testament commentary series. Um, Revelation is written by Leon Morris and this is the section about this passage here. Um, and it mentions what I just said about how this translates as being watchful and linking that to the city of Sardis's um, history. Lack of spiritual vigilance may likewise be costly. All was not yet lost, for there are things that remain, but even these are about to die. Unless an ember is fanned into flames, it is lost. This church may have pleased men, but it does not please God. Nothing it did was complete in the sight of my God. Its works were not brought to fulfilment. Why did both Jews and Romans leave this church undisturbed, unlike some of its neighbours? The answer may well be its lack of aggressive and positive Christianity, content with mediocrity, lacking both the enthusiasm to entertain a heresy and the depth of conviction which provokes intolerance. It was too innocuous to be worth persecuting. And here's an extract from William Barclay's commentary. The church at Sardis was too lazily lethargic for the effort of thought. Heresy is always a product of the searching and seeking mind. Heresy is, in fact, the sign of a church that is vitally alive. Heresy is the sign that a man has at least tried to think things out for himself. Heresy is usually unbalanced, stressing one side of the truth. And then he goes on to say, But the fact remains that heresy is the characteristic of the man of the church which is not content with a second-hand faith and a conventional and unthinking acceptance of orthodoxy, but which is compelled to think things out for himself and for itself. 
There is nothing worse than a state in which a man is orthodox because he is too lazy to think for himself. A man is actually better with a heresy which he holds intensely and personally than with an orthodoxy about which, in his heart of hearts, he does not care. They're harsh words, aren't they? They're hard to hear. Um, But I think both of those put this into such good perspective. Like, there's no sign that these, these Christians are persecuted and that's probably because they're not they're not really no one can be bothered to persecute them because they don't there's no need they're just sort of there like they're not causing any trouble to anybody and it's not that we're called to cause trouble obviously as christians but quite often the way we are commanded to live by jesus is counter to the culture around us and in this time period that was very very true and that's why other churches were experiencing persecution because they followed jesus before they followed um the world around them and there were some things that come above what what the um local culture says is the right or good thing to do um this church weren't they were just sort of cruising along with what was going on in the city anyway there's there's nothing to say there they're not really making they don't have any conviction um about that and again these these points about the lack of heresy is difficult to hear like Barclay saying there it's better for someone to have um a passionate conviction of a heresy than just to be a Christian for the sake of oh, I don't know all my friends are or or um to just have no passion about their Christianity at all that's really difficult to hear the fact that it's better to be passionate about false teaching than it is to be a so-called Christian, but but to not be... Again, it comes back to what Jesus is saying. They are appear to be alive, but really they're dead. There's no, there's no conviction. There's no passion. They're just drifting along. Unfortunately, that, that is a word that can, that can be spoken into some of the modern-day church, especially in the West where we turn up and we have tea and biscuit and you know sit down for half an hour and then our lives look exactly the same as anybody else that lives in the town around us regardless of their beliefs it's a difficult word to hear but it's very important to jesus but there is there is hope he says there are a few a few (laughs) in Sardis who are faithful and he says those few who are faithful the ones who have patiently endured remember that phrase that's repeated in this section is so important in the book of Revelation those followers who have patient endurance they will walk with him in white so let's look at point six the conqueror's promise the promise to the ones who conquer Um, who are passionate, who are convicted, and who want to follow Jesus with their whole lives. So let's pick up again at verse 4. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name in the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear 
what the Spirit says to the church. So white garments in the Bible tend to refer to purity, um, being free of, of sin, all, all of our stains and sin, dirtiness, uncleanliness being taken away. If we look at um, Zechariah chapter 3, verses 3 to 5, it gives us more of an idea about this. It says, Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I've taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. And so they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. So that gives us an idea of how this image of um, soiled garments being taken for white garments works in the Bible. Um, and also in the opening vision of Jesus and throughout this book, we see that Jesus is wearing white. So it connects these people with Jesus as followers of him, people that are imitating him. And the fact that they are walking with Jesus as well um, shows this as in the Gospel of John, walking with Jesus um, refers to being his disciple and living his way so that's part of the conqueror's promise that um they will be completely sinless in this church where most people are dead in their sins still these people are alive with christ and so we're enclosed in pure clean garments with their iniquities taken away and then he says that they he will never blot out their name in the book of life the book of life comes up um in different parts of the bible most famously perhaps in Exodus 32. So let's have a quick look at that. Exodus 32 verses 31 to 33. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gold, uh, gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I've spoken to you. So this book is about those people who have sinned and um, those who sin are blotted out of the Lord's book, the book of life. Um, it seems that this book documents the people who will be in the kingdom of God. Um, and you can see why we need Jesus here, because... Um, as it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we need Jesus and we need him to to not, um, because of, because we're in Christ, our name is now in that book of life and isn't blotted out. Um, and this is, again, what is going on here is when Jesus is confessing their name to his father, he's acting as our great high priest, as our mediator of a new covenant. That means we can come into the presence of God. We can be part of this new kingdom of God um, because we are in Christ and because of his sinless life and his perfect sacrifice and his defeating of death and sin. Um, when we are part of that, our name is back in the book of life and it is no longer blotted out. Um, for we are saved by Jesus from our sin. So there we go. That is Jesus's message to the church in Sardis. It's quite a harsh one, but there is hope and the hope that there is is so beautiful and glorious. It is the message of the gospel. 
next time we'll be looking at the message to the church in Philadelphia. So hopefully that episode will be with you soon. I've also got more episodes lined up um, on the more topical side of things. And hopefully I'll have my first guest on the podcast very soon. Let's just end in prayer, shall we? There's a lot to respond to here. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving us. Thank you for taking us from death. Thank you for taking us from being dead in our sins and making us alive in you because of what you did. Lord, we just want to serve you. We want to live for you and honour you and not be complacent. Show us, Lord, anywhere that we need to be more passionate for you. May we live as those who patiently endure and don't just drift along because our friends are doing church or um, like doing a Bible study, Lord. May we be so excited to live as your disciples and so passionate to share your gospel and have such deep conviction in our hearts that this is the only way, the only truth and the only way you can really find life. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one who provides our every need and strengthens us to live for you. Um, We are so in awe of you, Lord Jesus. You are our everything and our only desire. Thank you for making us alive. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys, and I will see you next time. Thank you so, so much for joining me for today's podcast. If you have five minutes to leave a review of this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on, that would be really, really helpful. And it would help more people like us who might enjoy studying the Bible to find the podcast and to join us in our journey. If you'd like to support me in making this podcast financially, you can use the buy me a coffee link that is in the show notes to just donate a little bit towards making these resources. You can also follow me over on Instagram at Bible with Megan or one word where I update everything that's going on and have content on there as well. So I really look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the Bible with Megan podcast.